This is going to be a, a really cool word today as we continue this series, Negotiate, as I mentioned. And my desire and prayer has been all along that we would really stand strong in this world that has really shown itself to be weak with core values and with uh, just the, the beliefs that are happening in our culture right now as a head scratcher. You ever sit there and watch the news and read these articles and go, what are the people in this nation thinking, even people in the high seats that are making calls? I mean, what are we doing? And we've gotten so far away from a, a God-style economy, and, a, and, and we've really drifted away from absolutes and objective truth that, that people don't even know what to believe anymore. So that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about I believe. I believe, and I will... Say this to you right out of the gate. What you believe is important. But why you believe your what is essential. And now we live in a culture where people go to church and people have been affiliated with church and denominationalism and religion or whatever. And a lot of people can tell you what they believe, but when you ask them why they really believe it to substantiate that, they can't do it. And when you ask them, how have you struggled through that in your own journey to land on the what, they, they, they don't know. So we all came in here today with certain things, all of us did, every person came in here today with certain things that we claim that we believe about God, about faith, about the Bible, about life, about ourselves, about others, all of us came in here today with certain beliefs. Now, that, that's the reality. So at some level, at some level, each and every one of us have a belief system. E e even as we move into this today, when you deal with a postmodernist that does not want to drive the stake in the ground with any type of real belief, they have a belief system. Everybody believes something. Everybody tries to answer the four questions of origin. Where did it all start from? Meaning, what is the purpose of being here? Morality, what's right, wrong, good, and bad? And destiny, what happens when you die? Everybody's trying to answer those, and every person at some level has a belief when it comes to those. So what drives, what governs, and, and, and what is the motivator in your belief system? And I want to introduce you to a couple of cool words. You may know them, but I want to break them down for you, and I want you to get these. Two words. I want to look at the word theology and the word doctrine. Theology and doctrine. Theology, just in a basic, defined way, is the study of God. Now, you can be a Hindu, or you can be a Muslim, or you can be a Mormon, or you can be whatever evangelical, and you can talk about this theology term, the study of God, in a vague way. But I believe for an evangelical, Christ-centered follower of the king, when we talk about theology, we're talking about the study of God with the desire to know God, to understand God, to trust God, and to follow God. So when we study the scripture and we talk about theology, it's not in a vague way just so that we've got concepts. It is actually saying theology for me is the study of God so that I might know God, so that I might understand God, that I might trust God, that I might walk with God. Now, that's a huge term because you'll hear people talk about uh, what's your theology. Even underneath the umbrella of the various denominations, you've got a variety of theologies. But then under the theologies, you've got all these different doctrines. 
doctrines now. You will hear people say, hey, we're going to talk about doctrine. Oh, dude, here we go. This is textbook. No, 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 no. This is crucial for this reason. The word doctrine properly defined is, it is something that is taught as a creed or core principles for foundational belief. So when people talk about doctrine, it is a creed or core principles that they're submitting to, adhering to, as their foundational belief. A simple definition would be this. Doctrine is a system of beliefs. As we've established, every person on the planet has a system of some type of belief. What is it? Where do they find it from? What drives it? So when it comes to this, back to the what, the why, and the how. My doctrine in theology is the why in my life. It is. It's the why. It is the engine that runs me. My philosophy, people study philosophy. Philosophy is the attempt to understand meaning and purpose. The philosophy is my what. It's kind of the fuel that keeps me going. But the engine is crucial, my why. But I have to have good oil and good gas in the engine to keep going. Now, my house, my methodology, if you will, or kind of the tires on the car, it keeps me having traction day in and day out. So, so here's the thing. Every one of us sitting here has a theology, has a philosophy, and has a methodology of how you do life. What is it? What drives it? What governs it? What motivates it? What substantiates it? Makes sense. Because when we deal with this postmodern culture again of humanism and moral relativism, it's going to be absolutely essential if we're going to share the good news of the gospel to be able to dialogue with these people in a variety of ways. So I can talk to people at times and just about philosophy of life. What's your philosophy? Because it's going to give me windows to the soul of what they believe. Make sense? Makes sense. So check this out. There, there's, there's words like doctrine in the Bible, teaching, even the word teach, and when you study these, they are very, very similar. Now, the word doctrine is an interesting word. You'll see the word didaskalia. And so when you look at that word, it's the substance of divine teaching being taught. Now, there's three words when you start to meditate on Scripture. Doctrine, teaching, teach, whatever. They're very, very synonymous words. This is important. This is important in my faith system, in my belief system, and everything about me. So doctrine is one of those words. Then you see the word teaching, which is the word didache. And it is a very interesting word that means the content of what and how it's being taught. Jesus said in Matthew 28, that last word, go into all the world teaching them to observe all that I've said. Teaching, did I say? Teaching them, bring the substance and the content, but make sure the presentation's tight, teaching. And then there's a third word on teach, and that word is did I go, which means, which means influence the understanding of the person being taught. So when we stand here, it's not only to bring doctrine and teaching, but it's to bring didasco, meaning help influence their understanding and broaden their perspective of right theology and right doctrine of who God is so that they can grow in the fullness of Christ. Makes sense. Come on. Now, th th this is very student-oriented today. Now, when you read the scripture, here's one of the crazy things about this for me. 
When you read the scripture, God is referred to as the potter. We're referred to as clay. So today, there's just one piece of clay talking to a bunch of other pieces of clay, encouraging them to contemplate and consider the vastness of who this great potter is. I'm just a piece of clay like you are. But as we move into this, this is going to be crucial. Now, 1 Timothy chapter 4, when Paul writes to Timothy, he says this. In pointing out these God-style truths, when you point out all of this God-style truth, these, these incredible doctrines of God, teachings of God, you will be a good servant of Jesus Christ, a good servant, constantly nourished on the words of faith and of sound doctrine. Sound doctrine, again, is the word didaskalia, which means the substance of the divine truth that God has laid out that we're teaching. You will be constantly nourished on the words of faith and sound doctrine. Then he says in verse 11, prescribe and teach these things. Didasko, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation. We talked about exhortation coming alongside, encouraging people to get it right. You can repent. You can go back. Come on, let's do it. And then he says, and to teaching. So all three of those words, sound doctrine, teach, and teaching are buried right here in that passage. What, what, what are you saying? Help influence the understanding of the one being taught. Stay with the right substance. Make sure that the content of what you're sharing is right. Now, this is important in our society today because there's so much corrupt theology. Now, Christian doctrine is very unique. It is an intellectual and a faith response to the historical and known revelations that God has given us. So when, when you talk about, it's not blind faith. People will say that. Well, the Christian life is like blind, it's just blind faith. No, it's not. It's built on historical truth, revealed accuracy of God, and it's not blind. It's not ignorant. It's got to be intellectual. It's got to be a faith-driven thing. You've got to use your heart, but you've got to incorporate your mind. Christian doctrine is different. Because it's not this new age kind of Eastern thing where you just want to empty it yourself and just become vague. It is intentional that you study to show yourself approved. It's intentional that you don't conform to this world, but you be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's intentional. And there's a lot of people that walk in church week after week after week, and they've never been intentional about their pursuit of theology and right doctrine and truth. So, the fact is, we need to be told what God's like. And it is not up to us to create a God that we choose to worship. When Mark Twain said, I think heaven is whatever you want it to be, he's wrong. It's not whatever you want it to be. God's not whatever you want him to be. New Age thinking says, well, he could be in a tree. Really. So, your faith has now come to the point of worshiping oaks and pines. Well, he could be in a dog. Are you serious? And, and so a lot of the New Age reasoning has absolutely missed even contemplating really who God is. And they're misrepresenting even in their vocabulary and, and wording who God really is. So doctrine, doctrine, doctrine. It is up to God to reveal who he is. Doctrine is our attempt. Now, we're not going to negotiate. We're going to stand strong in a weak world. 
Doctrine is our attempt to articulate what God has made known about himself. It's one piece of clay sharing with other pieces of clay about who this potter is based on the revealed understanding that we have of this potter. Doctrine seeks to describe God in accordance with how he's been revealed in creation, in history, in the person of Jesus, and in the sacred scriptures. Now, don't, 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 don't buy in don't buy in just to some type of little school you went to that taught you these little whatever teachings that were supposedly of God. So, so many of my, again, I'm not bashing it. I'm just saying they haven't investigated it. So many of my Catholic friends have never combed through the scripture. They've never combed through the catechism of the, uh, of the Catholic church. They've never even really deeply investigated. But, 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 but I'm not dogging them. Because so many of my Baptist friends and Presbyterian friends and people here in this non-denominational church have never investigated, really, the Scripture either. So we sit here oftentimes like baby Robin saying, feed me for 90 minutes and I'm on about my business. Reading the daily bread at 7 o'clock in the morning for 85 seconds on the John is not called devotional intimacy with God. (laughs) I just want to go ahead and throw that one out there. Your little Jesus calling that you've got laying over there next to the Yahtzee game? Ah, if you're going to really know God and pursue God and chase after the heart of God, it's going to take a little bit more than that. But, but, but we, we, we pursue what we really value. We're as close to God today as we really want to be. We know as much about him as we really want to know. And, and, and we are really where we want to be if we, get on, if we get honest. So you've got to really want to know him. It is a personal relationship. It's not religion. So doctrine, when you start to study it, also allows us to expose false and corrupt teachings about God. You'll be able to recognize false prophets. You'll be able to recognize a corrupt statement. You'll be able to stop it and go, oh, oh, oh hold on, that's not consistent. So the Christian faith is based on doctrine, a system of beliefs. The doctrines of the deity of Christ, the atoning sacrifice, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, salvation by grace alone through faith, the Trinity, the inspiration of the scripture are some of the essentials, not all, but they're some of the key essentials and they're not to be negotiated. So, so. I remember this years ago going, I got to study this. I took classes on apologetics on how to share Christ's eschatology, not because I was in ministry. It's just because I was a follower of Jesus and I wanted to know what some of the arguments were. Make sense? I'm still playing baseball. I'm trying to get people out. That's all I was trying to do. But I'm like, man, I want to know God. Uh, Who is God? How, how, How can I embrace this God that's created me and redeemed me through the blood of his son? So if these doctrines, some like I just mentioned, are removed, our faith becomes void and empty. We got to know what those doctrines are. That it's a system of belief. It's crucial beliefs that substantiate us as we move into the future. Now, there's been a tremendous amount of division in the body of Christ because there's some doctrines that have taken on a more weightiness, if you will, and given crucial status where they shouldn't have been given. Now, here, like, like this, people will debate and argue when the rapture is going to happen. I, I, I got saved, came to faith in Christ in October of 1985. There was a book that came out that year, 
in early 1988, and the dude had written a book called 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming Back in 1988. I didn't buy the book, didn't read the book, and I think he missed everything he was sharing in the book because he didn't come back. But there's been a lot of that kind of stuff, though, prophetic words kind of thrown out there. You follow me? I mean, you know, there's stuff going on right now that the world's going to come to an end in September. The market was supposed to crash and everything was supposed to go down this past Thursday based on one prophetic word. But be, be careful with these prophetic word guys at times. I mean, let me, tell you, let me tell you why. Using prophetic words when people say, I've got this word of prophecy under the new covenant is a lot easier to do than it was under the old covenant. Because you can say something now and give this great prophetic declaration, and if it doesn't happen, you go, well, I was just off a little bit. In the Old Testament, you give a prophetic word and it don't come to pass. They took you out and stoned you and killed you. I guarantee you, there was not a lot of prophets in the Old Testament. After a couple of dudes wore it, it's like, uh-uh. I better make sure I hear from God when I say the Lord has said so, you've got the rapture. You've got free will versus predestination and election. This is one of those issues that have, in some groups has given so much status, and you call, you'll, you'll see so many people, man, fighting and debating over it. Tribulation. This was a big one when I was in college. Are you a pre-trib or a post-trib? What, 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 what are you talking about? Well, when do you think the tribulation is going to happen? Well, I really hope that it's pre-trip. That way we don't have to go through all that crazy stuff. Another dude said, well, I think the scripture is more stronger with a mid-trip view. And another one said post-trip. And then I finally met a dude that said, I'm a pan-trip. And I said, pan-trip. He goes, I believe it's going to pan out the way God wants it to, and they're spending too much stinking energy over there on that. <laughs> so I was like, all right, I got, I got you. But even though these doctrines are important, I want to know what God has to say that they can become divisive. And there's God-loving people and Christ followers on both sides. And, and, and I don't think we're to divide, to divide fellowship on those. The virgin birth, no, I, I'm standing on that one. The inerrancy of the scripture, I'm standing on that one. Some of this we'll move into here in a bit. I'm not, I'm not no, but I've only got so much blood in my system and I'm not gonna shed it over all these peripheral arguments. Come on. Chuck Swindoll said, in the essentials, unity. and the non-essentials, liberty. But in all things, charity and love. And if the body of Christ would come together with great charity and love, we would see incredible move. Now, let me move. Why do some churches stay away from talking about theology? And here's the reason why. Because once you start to drive a stake in the ground, it can become divisive. Especially when you're a non-denominational church and you've got people coming from Armenian camps and Calvinistic camps and Catholic camps and Lutheran camps and Presbyterian and AG and it can be divisive. But, 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 truth in its purest definition is narrow and so it does exclude. A proper understanding and real pursuit of doctrine and theology should unite us, not divide us, if we handle the word properly. Which is cool. I, I, I want this slide strong in front of you because I think it's crucial in your study of God and your understanding of doctrine that you've got to teach the text within the context of how it's laid out. Listen, anytime you go to the verse and you extract 
a verse here and a verse here and a verse here, and you start to build a doctrine from that, what you've done is you've a la carte scripture. You're starting to cut and paste, and any time you take something out of the context, you can oftentimes misrepresent the heart of what it is saying. So anytime you study in it and you hear something, you go, oh, oh, what's the context? So when I got here almost five years ago, I got the doctrinal statement or theology statement. I started reading through it, and I'm like, it's bad. Why is it bad? Because there's so many verses that are pasted here on this doctrinal statement that are out of context of what the whole counsel of God looks like. There were so many passages out of the book of Acts to promote certain things about the gifts of the Spirit and all this. The book of Acts is a history book, not a doctrine book. So anytime you start to see how did the Holy Spirit work and you start to try to extract and make doctrine out of that, it's a history book. Here's how the Holy Spirit worked in Acts. Is the Holy Spirit still working today? Yes. But you can't go to a history book to build doctrine. You go to a doctrinal book in the Pauline epistles to build doctrine. You, you got to know this. So be careful what you hear. Here's another thing. Be careful with personality-driven ministries. What do you mean? Be careful with a ministry that rises and falls and is centered on an individual personality, one with great boldness and charm and cleverness. A personality-driven ministry has taken many people astray. A lot of people will buy into the personality and not even know what the doctrine is because the guy is polished and, and, and he's got all this great charisma to him. People will sit there going, you got to hear what this dude said. No, I, I want to I, I hear it, but I want to know where he's coming from in his doctrine and theology. Come on. More I could say there. So we're told in 1 John 4, test the spirits. This means religions, denominations, churches, Bible schools, Bible colleges, people. It tests the spirits now. So-called prophets test the spirits. Why? 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 It is vitally important when you start to study and when you start to hear other people, it is vitally important to know the meaning of words that are being used. I can talk to people all the time and they can say, hey, well, I'm a Christian. What does that mean in our culture? You can just stop and say, Jeremy, tell me what you mean by you're a Christian. And you'll get some of the most bozo, bizarre statements when people say, well, I'm a Christian. I, I can talk to people and they're like, well, I was baptized. When? Well, when I was two, to, two weeks old. Well, what, is, what does that mean? Well, I, I was brought forward and they sprinkled me. Is that biblical baptism? So how you define terminology better be based on how God defines terminology. Because wording and phraseology is crucial as you start to deal with this postmodern culture. Now, I believe. There's certain things I believe. Now, there's certain things that I said 10 years ago that I believe I don't believe anymore. I said those out of passion and out of hanging out whoever I was hanging out with. And I got into the word and I'm like, why did, it, why, why did I say I believe that? Because I was living on barred convictions and hand-me-downs and not on personal encounter with my king. Make sense? Pastor years ago, brother, it's not how you start that matters, it's how you finish. Man, that's a cool one-liner. <laughs> 
And then all of a sudden I'm watching NASCAR and I'm like, that's crazy. How you start matters. You don't want to start in the end of the line. Why don't you say it this way? How you start is important. How you finish is crucial. But there's so many one-liners that we will buy into and things that sound biblical that you've got to be careful. So know your terminology. John MacArthur said it this way. God holds us accountable for what we believe as well as how we think about the truth that he has revealed. All scripture testifies to the fact that God wants us to know and understand the truth. He wants us to be wise. He wants us to use our minds. We are supposed to think, meditate, and be discerning. Who? All of us. So a lot of times people will come to me and say, hey, I got a question for you. All right, a question about salvation, a question about sanctification, a question about whatever, end times, heaven and hell, angels and demons, whatever the question might be. Hey, I've got a question for you. I'm like, all right, how much study and research have you done on your own contemplating that question you just asked me? Well, I ain't really looked anything up. I just wanted to ask you about it. Then get your butt out of my office and go do some homework and then come back and dialogue with me. Don't you come over here shortcutting your approach of having to deal with a struggle with God. You say that? In love. Why? Love is doing the most redemptive thing for the other person. And when a person is able to eliminate the struggle and they start living on barred convictions and hand-me-downs, what do they truly believe? Come on. Now, this is very, very, very important. So, doctrine is important to us. Theology is important to us in everything that we're building here in this church. Check out our website. Link that. It'll tell you what we believe and what some of our core doctrines are. We've got a leadership doctrinal thing that covers more. I'll hit some of that in a bit. But it's very, very important for you to say, what do they believe? Where do they land? What is their fundamental teachings? Here's what we write. The pastoral leadership at the Cross Loganville desires to preserve the unity of the Spirit and to foster an environment where the peace of Jesus Christ can reign freely. That's what we want to do. The necessity of sound doctrine in the church is a consistent theme throughout the New Testament. You can look at 1 Timothy, uh, 2 Timothy, Titus, all of this. It is essential to our spiritual health. Ephesians 5, it is the standard by which conduct is evaluated, Titus 2. It is the faith for which we contend, Jude verse 3. It is the truth we uphold. Is is it important? Yes. So wherever you're getting information, find out where's the teaching coming from. McLaren and some of these guys, man, uh, in this emergent church that kind of sprung off of it years ago. These dudes almost became uh, Unitarian almost in their belief system. Some of these guys did. But, but Nick was telling me, he's like, I'll never forget reading that. And the, the dude made the statement that in Adam we all sinned, but in Christ we're all saved. Well, you hear that and you go, that's good. But what does he mean by that? What they, some of those cats believe is that whether you receive Christ now, that even after you die, every knee's going to bow, every tongue's going to confess God's not going to send anybody to hell he's not going to allow anybody to go to hell based on their refusal of him everybody's going to be in heaven one day that's what that's what that guy was meaning by that statement you look and you go "What, what do you mean by that statement am I confusing some of you I hope so 
I hope so, so that it would challenge you to go back and say, I got to think through what I believe. Now, here's some things for us. What do you believe, Tim? We believe the Bible. There's a statement there uh, in our doctrinal statement that you need to see. All 66 books inspired by God. You believe that? Yes. You believe it's the final authority? Yes. Do you believe God is spoken through his son? And son? Yes. He's revealed himself in the Logos of Jesus and in the Rhema sayings of Scripture. What do you go to to find the, the wisdom and the insight and the doctrine and theology? This right here. Come on. That's what we believe. We believe in God the Father. We believe in one God eternally existing in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They're identical in essence, equal in power and glory, and they possess the same attributes of perfection. You've got to study this. God in three persons, not three separate gods. No, no, no. There's, there's other places out there that worship three different gods. We believe in one God manifesting in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We believe in Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, that he became man without ceasing to be God. Having been conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of a virgin, in order that he might reveal God to sinful man. After living a sinless life, he accomplished our redemption by voluntarily giving himself as a sinless sacrifice on the cross of Calvary. He satisfied God's righteous judgment against sin once and for all. And after the substantiating uh, accomplishment of that redemption on the cross and through the bodily resurrection where he defeated death, hell, and the grave, he ascended to the right hand of the Father where he lives and makes intercession for the saints today. That's what we believe. We believe that every person... Only through faith and repentance enters into that relationship with Jesus. We don't believe because you were born in a family that went to church that you know Jesus. We believe Jesus Christ invites us to a personal encounter with him. And the only way is that you've got to repent and by faith come to place your confidence in him. He satisfied once and for all God's wrath. He is God in flesh, the Logos. We believe in the Holy Spirit. We believe that the Holy Spirit is the divine person equal with the Father and Son who convicts the world of sin. The Holy Spirit alone brings about new life in those who are spiritually dead. How did I come to know this incredible great God? The Holy Spirit was convicting my heart of sin and even of righteousness, he says in John. The Holy Spirit was penetrating me. The Holy Spirit baptized me then through faith and repentance into the body of Christ. How did you get into the body of Christ? I was baptized in by the person of the Holy Spirit. When God sent forth the Holy Spirit in, on uh, the day of Pentecost and the Holy Spirit fell and people started to absolute trip out with the power of the gospel of Christ inside of them. That's what I got. I got the Holy Spirit inside of me. I didn't have to earn it. Didn't have to jump through hoops to get it. And when he comes in, he indwells the believer permanently. Can you leak? Yes. Can you quench the spirit? Yes. But God desires for the Holy Spirit Christ in me to have total freedom to do whatever he wants to do. The Holy Spirit also gives spiritual gifts when you study it. Ephesians 4, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12. He gave gifts to all. The gifts differ. Who is giftless in here that's a believer of Christ? Nobody. Who's to be enjoying the gifts and employing the gifts that are born again? Everybody. So the Holy Spirit desires for me to yield to him. He desires full control. Man, praise God for the Holy Spirit. 
We believe in a literal creation account here. We believe that God created the heavens and the earth, including all life, each after its kind, by a direct act and not by evolution. We don't buy Darwin's theory of evolution as being true. We buy it as a theory. We believe that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was void and without form. And God said, let there be. And everything that has been came into being as a result of God's great voice. You know, my favorite line, God didn't start when start got started. He started starting. He didn't begin when the beginning began. He began the beginning. He is the great creator God. What do you believe about man? We believe that man was created in the image and the likeness of God. And man was created innocent and without sin. But in in Adam's voluntary sin, the human race all fell and inherited a sin nature. We became spiritually dead based on Ephesians 2, alienated from God, and incapable of providing a remedy that would bring us back in a harmonious relationship with God. You believe that? Yes. You believe everybody is born into the world a sinner? Yes. Do you believe the heart is desperately wicked and deceitfully sick in every person born? Yes. Do you believe the only cure is through a, an incredible radical change through an encounter with Jesus Christ, being filled with the Holy Spirit, and then becoming a, a child that follows the King daily? Yes. Yes. We believe in salvation. We believe that salvation is a free gift of God. It's based on his grace. It's not based on works. You can't earn it. You can't do enough to merit it. It is freely given to all who will repent and place their faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ on Calvary. All who trust the Savior, who really trust him, the word believe, as many as believed him, he gave the right to become sons of God. The word believe in the Greek is the word pisteo. It means absolute persuasion to the point of action. When people say, I believe, they've been persuaded to take action. They're no longer staying stuck in stable misery. I believe. Then if we believe, there's going to be action that follows. Salvation. All who trust the Savior are forgiven. They're born into the family of God by the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. Now, now, now let, me, let, me, let, me, let me trip you up a little bit here. We believe in the security of the believer. Those who have truly repented, those that God has began a good work in, those that have absolutely turned from sin and placed their faith and confidence in Christ, I believe that dude is secure until he meets Jesus face to face and then he's secure in his presence. Let me tell you why. Do you believe once saved, always saved? If you define salvation right and get it right, yes. But if you define salvation wrong, I don't even know what you're talking about. This is where so many people trip. This is where the the Arminian and the Calvinist and the Baptist and the Assembly of God people sometimes butt head. Well, do you believe he fell from grace? I believe he lost his salvation, brother. If it was his, he could have lost it. But you can't lose God's salvation. When God does the saving, he says, no man shall ever pluck you out of my hand. But you better make sure you're in the faith. You better make sure you've repented and truly responded to the gospel. It is impossible for one to be born into the family of God and be lost again. What are you saying? God brings us on board the ship, the great fellowship. But on this ship, you might fall down, but you can't fall over if you're truly on it. It is their privilege to rejoice in the assurance of their salvation. However, with this security, 
This assurance is not the occasion for sin, for God in his holiness cannot tolerate persistent sin, and in his infinite love, he continues to correct us. True faith, true faith, true faith in Jesus is expressed by a fruitful and God-pleasing life. Romans 6, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound more freely? God forbid! How can we who died to sin keep living in sin? It makes no sense. What did I die to? I died to sin. What did I come alive to? I came alive to Christ who lives inside of me. Christ, well, what, what do we know about Jesus? He's holy and he's pure and he lived his life clean before the Father, always honoring the Father, pleasing the Father. Always do that which pleases my Father. We believe in sanctification. Sanctification means to be set apart unto the things of God. We believe three things about sanctification. It's positional, it's progressive, and it's permanent. It's positional. When you get saved and really truly born again, God sets you apart. And positionally before God, you are in Christ and you're a saint. Progressive sanctification means we still live in the flesh, meaning that we're still battling some of our old flesh patterns. And because of that, we're progressively being sanctified and being set apart by God day by day by day by day. Has God started a good work in you? Yes. 30 years ago? Yes. How long has he been sanctifying you? 30 times 365. Ever since I came to Christ, I'm constantly being sanctified. How many times you get saved? I got saved once, born again. But I am still a piece of clay and the hand of the great potter. Let me finish it. Permanent, meaning ultimately the child of God, when he dies and breathes his last, he will be permanently sanctified in the presence of God forever and ever and ever. We believe in the return of Christ, the imminent second coming of Christ. You believe that? Yes, he's returning for his church. Who's his church? The bride of Christ, those who have come to faith and trust in Jesus. We believe in the church. The church is ecclesia in the Greek. The word church means those who belong to the Lord through faith and repentance who are under the blood of Jesus. And it's made up of all the persons who have trusted Jesus. And we believe that everybody that belongs to Jesus belongs to everybody else that belongs to Jesus. We don't care what your denominational background is. We don't care what skin color. None of us stood in line for the way we look. I don't care what hat size you wear. Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Do you love Jesus? Have you come to know Christ? Through the work of the Holy Spirit, the outpouring at Pentecost, God places us into the church. What is the church? Those who belong to the Lord. Where is the church? It's wherever those who belong to the Lord are. So we don't go to what we are. We come to a place called the cross to fellowship with others so that we can stay locked in and equipped for doing the work of the service. But people go, I'm going to church. And I'm like, well, you just left where you were. And because you are the church, you can't go to the church. You are the church. So when you go in on Monday morning, you're the church. People that come in are hanging with you, whether you're in the schoolhouse or a doctor's office or wherever you're at. Hey, we had church today. Well, you couldn't help but have it. You ever hear people say that? But you ain't going to believe it, man. We were at a ball game. We had church. When do you not have it? Right? So I think this is important for us to know. And I think it's important for you to know to say, what do I truly believe? What is my study? What is my pursuit? 
Am I really, really seeking God? Have I really come to faith in Christ? It's an intellectual and faith response to how God has revealed himself. What are you doing? I'm, I'm, I'm teaching, giving content and substance, but I want to teach. I want to help you in your understanding, embrace the fullness of who he is. How many of you in here say, I need to grow? How many of you in here would say, I'm satisfied with where I'm at? Now, now I would encourage you to make, to make a, a vow and a pledge to God that starting today, you're going to become a student of the word. We've got tons of resources we can help you with. I don't want to see you stay in infancy. I don't want to see you stay just sucking Gerbers and drinking milk all your life. There's no maturation. There's no maturing in that. There's things that we talk about with eternal state, angels, heaven and hell, baptism and the Lord's Supper. That's laid out in our doctrinal statement, spiritual gifts. We talk about divorce and remarriage. We talk about same-sex attraction, this whole piece of homosexuality and all this. I want to talk about that next week. That'll be a real light conversation. <laughs> 